So the message this morning is from a verse in Revelation chapter 1. I titled, I titled the message a little bit from the verse. It's not perfect because I, I have to come up with these things. I'm not the most creative person in the world. But this comes from Revelation uh, 1, which we'll look at in a moment. But what I wanted us to start out this Advent season with, this, this time this month to prepare ourselves for Christmas, is I wanted us to remember what this verse teaches, that we serve a God who is, who is. He is with us. He is alive. He, it's not like he only was, which was a lot of what we focus on in Christmas is what happened way back then, what happened in that little town of Bethlehem. But that was was, right? So he is, it's primary, first, important. He is in our lives. He is working. He is in love with us according to the cross and according to what he's done. He is here. He has never left us. He doesn't leave us as orphans. He was, and it's important that he was. And then lastly, he is to come. He is to come. So we're going to explore that in these next few weeks. If he is and he was, what does it mean that he is to come? Well, the word is full of information about this. And so we want our, our hearts and our minds to be able to grasp it so we can worship him all the more freely, that we can rejoice in what he has promised and what will be true in the future. So as we begin to prepare ourselves for the celebration of the remembrance of the birth of Jesus, because it's not like Jesus is going to be born again this Christmas. He's already been born. It, it, it has happened. So we're going to remember it. Often, like we remember communion, we take the elements, we remember that he died on the cross for our sins. Once a year, the Christian church and the whole world, in some way, joins in on the celebration of Christmas, the birth of our Savior. And during Advent, we want to keep in mind that he started a work at his birth, in his human life here on earth, but he's going to finish that work one day. And we're in the middle. We stand in the gap. We have to keep in mind that Jesus came once in Bethlehem, but he's coming again. So I've titled this from the verse in Revelation. We put that up on the screen for you. You can see it. In Revelation, this is what he says. I am the alpha, which is the A. It's the Greek alphabet, all right? So the first letter in the Greek alphabet is A. Last one is omega, right? For us, it's A and Z, yes, you're paying attention. You're still awake. Z. That's what they put when you're sleeping. Z, Z, Z. So wake up. A to Z. I am the A to Z, says the Lord God. The one who is, he's alive, he's here, he's with us. Who was born in Bethlehem, died on a cross, rose again, and is to come. He is to come. So... Our God is, is here with us through the gift of the Holy Spirit, really. He's here in, in the word, but he's here. His promised Holy Spirit has been given to us. So he's present with us through the gift of his Holy Spirit. And we have to remember that in order to draw on the Spirit for the strength that we need to live this life. Because this life is not always easy. Sometimes it's very difficult. So we need him here with us. And he has kept his promise to never leave us or forsake us. 
So we celebrate that we serve a God who is. But Christian, today we are living in the in-between, in the gap, so to speak, between the one who was here in human form, born in a manger in Bethlehem, lived his life, ministered, then was killed, murdered on a cross, and then rose again from the grave three days later, and then ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God to return one day at his second coming. We're in between Bethlehem and the return of Christ. So I want you to look with me at at the book of Acts, our favorite book. Just kidding. Uh, but it is a great book, and we want to look at chapter 1 because we need to be refreshed at what was going on here at the ascension of Christ. We don't talk about the ascension too much, but there's this, an ev- this event that's recorded for us in Scripture because if Christ rose from the dead, where did he go after that? What happened? Why didn't he live to a ripe old age here on earth? Well, because he was risen and glorified. And so... In Acts chapter 1, verse, verse 9, it says, actually, let's, let's just back up. We want to see what he was saying. So what he was saying, they had a question in verse 6. The disciples, they had come together, and they asked Jesus. Now he's risen. He's risen from the grave. He's with them. And they say, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he says to them, it's not for you to know times or the periods that the Father has set By his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing up into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes, angels, stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So we have this recorded for us history of what happened to Jesus. He ascended up into heaven. A cloud came and and sort of carried him away. And as they stared into the sky thinking, what in the world just happened? Two angels came to give him a little wisdom to say, listen, you don't need to be staring up there anymore. He's coming back and he's going to come back in the same way that he left. So he went up into the clouds. He's going to come back down from the clouds. Makes sense, right? That's what they're talking about here. So we want to we look at this because we only have this recording here in, in the book of Acts. But in John chapter 14, we have this verse. Jesus is speaking to his disciples because he's telling them. He's like, listen, some things are going to happen. I'm going to be crucified. I'm, you know, I'm going to die. You know, and, and then I'll rise again. You know, and they're just like, what are you talking about? Why would this be happening? You know, they were confused. And he's, he's talking to them. He says, hey, I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to be troubled. If I go away and prepare a place for you, Thomas, you can hear his heart. Don't, don't worry. I'm coming back again. 
don't worry. I will come back again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. So they were, they were starting to, to fear that, that separation, right? The fact that he was physically going to be taken from them. And he knew that was true. And so he wanted to assure them, don't worry, I am coming back again. And I'm going to bring you to myself because their desire was just to be with him. It, their desire wasn't to be in heaven and play harps and float around and bounce around on trampolines and things like that. Their, their, their desire was to be with him. And that should be our desire as well as disciples of Jesus Christ, to be with him wherever he is, to be with him. Amen? So in Hebrews chapter 9, it tells us this. So as Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time not to bear sin. So in other words, he's not coming back to go through that again. He's not going back to the cross. That was a one-time deal. Once and for all, it covers the sins of the whole world, that one act. So he's not coming back again to bear sin, to take our sin from us, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. To bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, wait a minute. I consider myself already saved. I got salvation. I put my faith in Jesus. I trust in him. I let him forgive my sins. I asked him and he did it. So I am saved, right? Well, the interesting thing about the Greek language is it has these tenses that we don't have in the English. The word salvation is, yes, you're, you're, you're saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. It's sort of like it can cover all three of those. And so what happens is my salvation is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, is guaranteed because of my faith and my belief in Christ and in his word, his testimony. But it's not yet complete. It won't be complete until I see him face to face. Then the completion of the restoration of Thomas John Curtis will be complete. And yours will be complete too when you see him face to face. So now we have these momentary trials and these troubles and these things of this world that will not follow us into the next. The worst things about you and the worst things about me will disappear. We'll be replaced with the best things about Christ. The things, you know, your impatience or your, your rudeness or, of course, I'm speaking of other people, but things like that, that you think like, wow, you know, I, I thought I had gotten over that, you know, and it kind of comes back, right? So it, it'll never come back again. You'll always be patient. You'll always be kind. You'll, you'll be filled with the Spirit in every way at all times, which sometimes you're filled with the Spirit, and sometimes you're still full a little bit of yourself, right? A little bit of you creeps in. Or the enemy gets a little bit of a foothold, right? He doesn't have victory, but there are these battles that we're in. Those battles will be over. Amen. Hallelujah. No more fighting. No more fighting the flesh. No more fighting the devil. No more fighting each other. It's done. It's over. He's the prince of peace, the mighty God, the wonderful counselor. And he will rule forever and ever and ever. There will be no end to his kingdom, the scripture says. I'm getting ahead of myself. Such an exciting message. 
You see, we have only experienced the very tip of the iceberg of our salvation. We've just grasped some of it. And it's real. And it's happening. And it has happened whenever you accepted Christ as your Savior and you received from him his righteousness and gave to him all your sinfulness. When that process took place and the Holy Spirit allowed you to be born again, you were brought into salvation. But you've only experienced a tiny bit of it. That passage I read earlier from Ephesians talks about your inheritance and that you've been given a deposit. Now, when you go to give a deposit, it's not the whole thing, right? It's just a part of the thing. Well, that's what we have in our salvation. We're not to assume that we have the whole thing. Because if this is all there is, the Apostle Paul says, we should be greatly pitied. People should feel bad for us if this is all there is. But people, this is not all there is. Our inheritance, we have a a tiny bit of it, but our inheritance is yet to come. It is yet to come. And he is faithful. He will complete it. When we finally see him face to face, our minds will be blown completely blown away at the goodness of God, at the mercy of God, at the greatness of God, of the beauty of God. It's just going to be mind-blowing, completely mind-blowing. So I need you to grasp onto that because as we look at Bethlehem and as we look at the baby born in the manger, you need to understand it's just the beginning. It is not the final finish line. If it's final then what are we doing? Our Christmas celebration should be exciting because it's the beginning and we know the rest of the story. At least what God has revealed to us is yet to come. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.9, no eye has seen, no ear has ever heard, no human heart has ever conceived, nobody has been able to think this big as to what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, he has a surprise for you. A really, 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 really good surprise. One you could never even imagine. Like, think of the best thing. Brittany, what would be the best thing that Jonathan could give you for Christmas? The absolute amazing, besides himself, the, the, the most amazing thing he could ever give you, like diamonds and jewels and, or trip to Bermuda or whatever, you know, whatever. Something really, really great. And that is like, you couldn't even think of how great it's going to be. You would be so far off because God is God. And God is like everlasting, and God is ever wise. He knows everything, and he knows exactly what you will be blown away with. It's going to be awesome. And so as we think about Christmas and how awesome that was, remember the iceberg. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Jesus told us again and again to be ready for him. Be ready for his return. He's coming back. And all of his disciples and all of the apostles, anyone who wrote in the New Testament repeated this message. And we don't repeat it enough. We don't repeat it enough. 
Do you know that 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament speak of the Lord's return? 23 of them. You know how many of them speak of his birth? Any Bible scholars? Two. Not even all four Gospels. Matthew and Luke talk of the birth of Christ. Give us the narrative, the wise men, all of that. Two books, two books compared to 23 books. I think 23 wins, right? If it were a competition. Of course, it's not. So the birth of Christ, of course, is to be honored and is to be remembered and is to be celebrated, but not nearly as much as the promise for him to return. Because when he returns, everything changes. Everything changes under his rule, under his majesty, under his grace. It's awesome. In fact, if you think of the references to the second coming in the New Testament, there's 300 references to the second coming. 300 of them. That's one out of every 30 verses is talking about him coming again is referencing him coming again, is assuming he's coming again. 300 times in the New Testament, we're told to be ready or to to remember or don't forget that he's coming again. So here's, here's the two places that Matthew and Luke both talk about the Son of Man coming again. Now, I'm going to talk about this term, the Son of Man. It's a, it's a title for Jesus in a moment. But even though Matthew and Luke are the only two that talk about the birth, they also talk about his return. So in, in Luke chapter 21, verse 27, it says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, this is so different than how he was born in the manger. In a manger, it was a silent night. Holy night, always calm, always bright, according to the hymn writer. He was in a stable. There might have been some noisy animals, but it was not this worldwide event. The second coming of Christ is a worldwide event. Matthew writes this, to be ready, for the Son of Man will come at an hour that you don't expect him to come. In other words, you don't know when he's coming, but he's coming. All nations will see the Son of Man, Jesus, coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect, his Christian brothers and sisters, to himself. So let me explain that that title, Son of Man, just so that you understand, because it's used a lot, but it's used by Jesus himself. You see, Jesus was fully God. We know that from the Gospel of John 1.1, but he was also fully man. Now, it's not something that we are accustomed to, having two full, fully developed beings with inside of ourselves, but that's what Christ was. So as the Son of God and the Son of Man, he deserves both titles, by the way. He, he is both things. What this Son of Man title refers to, and Jesus referred to himself 82 times this way. Again, you've got to read through the Gospels. You've got to read the, 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 the words in, in 
The letter's in red, right? You've got to read the... Because you're going to see again and again, he, he, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. 82 times. In fact, Son of Man is the primary title that he used to talk about himself. Because Son of Man is the fulfillment of a prophecy, an Old Testament prophecy given in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I'm going to turn there. You can turn there if you like. The page number is, is 790. By the time you get there, I'll be, de- I'll be gone again, but you can try. So Daniel's a prophet, a prophet of God, a man who was obedient to God even in the worst of situations, and God honored him, and God continued to visit with him, and God continued to help him to see what was ahead. And it says that one day he was keeping watch, verse 9, I was watching And thrones were set in place. So he has these visions. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. So the Ancient of Days is God, God the Father. His clothing was white like snow. His hair of his head was the whitest of wool. His throne was a flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. So he's seeing this amazing scene. And a river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Tens of thousands stood before him, and court was convened, and the book was opened. And later on, in the same passage, I continued watching, and suddenly, one like the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. And he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every nation, every people, every language should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the the vision that God gave of Christ to Daniel hundreds of years before Christ was born in Bethlehem. And this is the vision of the return of Christ. What happens when Christ comes back to earth and takes on all that God has given him. And Jesus applied this prophecy to himself. Jesus did it. So that we didn't have to be confused by by someone else using a title for him. He used it for himself. And do you know that Bible-believing Christians all through the ages believe that, yes, Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. But they also believe that Jesus Christ is going to come back. And when it happens, absolutely everyone will know it. It is not a secret event. It is not a quiet event. Everything changes. His return is called the second coming or the second advent because advent simply means arrival. His first arrival was in Bethlehem. His his next arrival hasn't happened yet. It will be an extraordinary, unprecedented moment in history. Very different from the arrival in Bethlehem. The Bible gives us clues about what it might be like but it doesn't say when it will happen. It just doesn't tell us. It's going to be a surprise, a big surprise. 
One way to look at Christ's return is that God wants us to know through the first coming of Christ how much he loves us and how much we have to look forward to when he comes back. We've got to get that down. We've got to get that in the core of our being. There's no need to fear the second coming of Christ. We should be rejoicing that he's coming back. We should be ready. We should be prepared. And there's plenty in the scriptures about that, preparing ourselves for that. But it should be an exciting event, something that we're looking forward to, not something that we're dreading. I get upset with Christians who get scared about Christ coming back. I get upset because it tells me one of two things. Something's not right in their heart. Something is, is not leading them in the right direction by the Spirit. And they need to get it right. They need to get back in God's presence, allow him to wash through them, wash through their thinking, wash through their feeling, wash through their emotions, and help them line themselves up so that they would have the right view, the biblical view on the return of Christ. The early Christians were not afraid he was coming back. They weren't worried he might come and catch them. You better watch out. You better, look out. You better not shout. I'm telling you why. Jesus Christ is coming. That, that's, I think we got this distorted Santa Christmas Jesus thing going on. His arrival back is exciting and wonderful and freeing. We're finally free. We're finally set free from all the things that dog us in this life. So we are a people, as believers, if you're a believer listening to me this morning, as a people... We are waiting between Christ's first arrival, Christmas, and his second arrival. We are waiting in between. And while we're waiting, we're not to fall asleep. We're not to get distracted and start following other people, listening to other beliefs. We're to, to spend our time readying ourselves and telling others, guess what? I got good news for you. God loves you with an everlasting love, and God is coming back one day to rescue you from this God-forsaken world, <laughs> from this horrible place that we now exist in, full of diseases and wars and terrorists and murders and all kinds of stuff. We're going to be free from this. That should give you a hallelujah feeling, to finally be free from the evening news and all the horrible things that happen every day. Sometimes the people we don't know, but sometimes the people we do know. That freedom is guaranteed in Christ. We don't have to wish for it. We don't have to send a letter to the North Pole to hopefully get it. He has given us his word as a guarantee for us. So these next 22 days are a special period of time for us to prepare for the birth of Christ, remembering the birth of Christ, but also that we should prepare for this tremendous event that's coming soon. I say soon because the Bible says soon. What soon means is up to God. But I trust him. It will come at the perfect time. It will come at the best time. It will come at the time that will give him the most glory. Because every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people, it says, will be rep represented around his throne in glory in heaven. No one will be left out. Now, some will choose not to attend. They will choose to reject Christ, and that is a sorrow. That's why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. 
It's not something that we make light of. But in the meantime, our job is to keep testifying, keep inviting, keep letting people know Jesus is real. God is with us here now. He is. He was. He was born in Bethlehem, but he is to come. He's all of those things at once, which is a little mind-blowing, but not nearly as mind-blowing as his return will be. Amen? Because we need to understand the love of God. He's not coming to judge us for our sins. Do you know that the judgment, if you have claimed Christ as your Savior, the judgment has already taken place. Jesus died on the cross. He took your judgment for you, and he took it to the cross. So he's coming back for us for the celebration to begin. Because you have placed your faith in Christ. You have decided that this is true. This testimony of what what Jesus has done and said and promised to do is true. And I will bet my life on it. I will sink my life into it. I will let my roots grow deep into it. And it keeps telling me again and again about the love of God. The love of God. Because he loved us, he sent his son He's lavishly poured out his love on us through his Holy Spirit. And he can't wait for you to receive the surprise inheritance of everything that's below the surface of that iceberg. He's prepared it. He's gone there to prepare a place for us. They're going to tell you this little illustration. I read this story of a pastor who was preparing his sermon when his little daughter came in. And she said, Daddy, can we play? And he said, oh, honey, I'm awfully sorry. I didn't finish my sermon yet. And those people, they get mad on Sunday morning when I don't have a sermon for them. So how about in an hour we'll play? And she said, okay, Daddy, when you're finished, when when you're finished, Daddy, I'm going to give you a big hug. And he said, well, thank you very much. She went to the door. And these are his words from his story. When all of a sudden she did a U-turn and she came back in and she gave me this chiropractic bone-breaking hug. And her dad said to her, darling, you said you were going to give me this hug when I'm finished. And she answered, daddy, I just wanted you to know what you have to look forward to. This is the love of God for us. We love Christmas because God so loved the world, he sent his son. But we're going to love even more the second advent, the return of Christ, when the fullness of God's love overwhelms all of us for eternity. For eternity. We can't even grasp what, how long eternity is, but it's way longer than this little life. It goes on and on and on. And God, because he is limitless, has love to last an eternity for you and for me. Amen? This is why we worship Jesus at Christmas time. Because he is, he was, but he is to come. Amen? 